Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. Molly, I have long hair. It's true. We both we both do. Yours is much longer than mine. <laughs> yeah, mine's getting a little out of control at this point. And uh, I don't know about you, but when my long hair really gets to be a little too much... I like to put it up in a ponytail. You know, I did too. And, uh, then I, then I learned what ponytails meant in the course of doing research for this podcast, courtesy of a book called Girlhood in America, an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how the ponytail came into style in the late forties, mm-hmm. early fifties. It was very popular with teens. And, uh, the author Miriam Foreman Brunel writes, the ponytail's name hearkened back to horses. Animals considered to be erotic fixations among young girls. In this style, the hair is pulled back to reveal a maturing face. At the same time, the hair is playfully cult-like in the back, wiggling and bouncing as a girl walked. Revealing yet sprightly, innocent yet erotic, this look reflected the cultural position of the teenage girl in the post-war United States. And I gotta tell you, every time I put my hair up in a ponytail before I go on a run... Look at myself in the mirror and say, Kristen, my God, you look so innocent and yet so erotic. And then I just trot away, cult-like, galloping down the road. And then uh, do sexual just connotations of, of what uh, you look like as a bouncing horse fill your mind? Yeah, I mean, people stop and watch. <laughs> Jogging is so, so erotic. Oh, Molly, I don't jog, I gallop. <laughs> gallop and trot. Unbridled. In the streets of Atlanta. Oh, well, our topic today is horses. Yeah. And uh, that just kind of throws some of, I think it throws all the issues just into the melting pot all at once. And that's just girls' hair. Yeah. Like, that's not even horses. Yeah, we haven't even got to horses. We're just talking about ponytails. And it is already getting saucy up in here. Because you throw, you put the word pony in there and people are going to bring all these conceptions as to why girls like ponies to the table. Mm -hmm. The stuff about sex, the stuff about being innocent. And that, but also being free and unbridled. Yeah, it's, it's, all of these are going to come into play in our investigation of why girls love horses so much. Because it does seem to be a rite of passage that Girls love horses. Girls love horses. And when I think about my own girlhood experience with horses, it was kind of strange because I sort of stole my sister's horse obsession. Mm-hmm. She got really into horses. She was, uh, she's a little bit older than I am. So she hit the horse phase and she started drawing horses all the time. <laughs> she's not listening to this. Sorry if I'm sharing too much. Uh, but she would, uh, she would draw horses all the time. And I was kind of jealous of how great she could draw these horses. So I jumped on the drawing bandwagon. And so I would try to draw horses as well. And they just always kind of looked like misshapen brooms. <laughs> It's really the only way I can describe it. And I, and I really wanted, I really wanted to love horses. I felt like I should love horses. See, my, my neighbors had horses. And I remember when I was little, one of them kicked my dad. And they also just smelled awful to me. And like when I was little, Kristen, I didn't even go into the fresh market because I thought that store smelled awful. It was the coffee. So you throw a horse in there with horse poo and I'm not gonna, not gonna be going for that. Mm -mm. But I'll tell you what I did love. What? My little ponies. Oh, yes. 
And uh, also a fun fact about these we came across in researching this podcast is that um, it's not like Hasbro set out to have a pony toy. Right. They were just doing some crazy, like, pie-in-the-sky research, and they kept saying to little girls, what do you think of when you close your eyes? I think they expected to get these really detailed descriptions of, like, princesses. Well, it was when they, so. when they close their eyes to go to sleep, like when they're trying, you know, to drift off into dreamland. What makes you happy to think about as you do that? And by and large, all of them said horses. Yes. And so they just threw, like, a brown horse on the market in the early 80s. It sold, like, gangbusters. So they're like, oh, well, let's, let's girly it up. And they put it in colors. And now My Little Ponies have entered, I think, the Toy Hall of, well, not the official Toy Hall of Fame, but... But the Toy Hall of Fame in my heart. Yeah, they sold 150 million of them. And I like that they call the colors that, that My Little Ponies come out in as fantasy colors. Yeah. And I'm going back to that dream thing. Cause girls weren't just thinking about brown horses in the stables. No, they were thinking about fluorescent, multicolored, magical horses. Magical horses. Dancing and, around. And Hasbro makes a point of not, uh, making uh, my Little Ponies in stereotypically boy colors, mm-hmm. like the primary colors, they're all in sort of this girly palette. And uh, this author, Ellen Sider, makes kind of a good point that in contrast to like our doll podcast, Kristen, where, you know, you can get into we're just teaching girls how to be mothers mm-hmm. and to caretake, whatever. There's really not that element with playing with My Little Ponies. These are, you know, horses you make gallop and you don't have to, you know, there's no boyfriend like Barbie and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you're entering more of a magical playland than maybe a baby doll would allow you to do. And at the same time, you have a mane and tail to brush and braid and decorate with, with, uh, hair clips. But, you know, and that's, that's what I got. I did. That's what I got on My Little Pony too. But let's get back to big ponies and some authors that we've looked at say that, that's part of what girls like about real horses, too, is this something that they can take care of, something that they can watch over and have responsibility for. And, you know, a few authors say that that's one of the main things that girls are really into about horses. Yeah, because we should note that when it comes to riding, like actually riding horses, equestrian clubs, um, different associations, women make up a majority of horse riders and horse owners. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's astronomical. In fact, there are a few articles we read about how in college scenarios, if, if colleges put in an equestrian team, it solves all their Title IX problems immediately yeah. because so many women want to continue writing. And, uh, it's just sort of an interesting thing to throw out is that girls are trying to find ways to stick with it, even though we tend to think of, you know, it's little girls have this pony mania, like Santa bring me a pony mm-hmm. sort of thing. And I think that, Boys might not have as natural of a draw to horses because when men had this, you know, historical association with horses in terms of workhorses and war horses. So they were always being used for some kind of purpose. But when it came to girls being able to ride horses, there was more of that, that human animal connection, connecting with, with the empathy. And then also, of course, the sexual aspect, which we'll have to talk about. Do you want to just go ahead and talk about sex now? I think it's the thing where let's just get it out of the way. Let's talk about sex. Yeah. Cause that's what most people think. There's some kind of Freudian connection to girls liking horses. It's because we all want to secretly have sex with them. Well, it's just, yeah, like a big, you know, and the, the words, you can't really even talk about the words without like a double, you know, without some innuendo, like mounting a steed, like mounting a stallion. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's all in there. 
And uh, this association of horses and Freud comes from this 1909 case study of little Hans. And poor little Hans was scared of horses. And his dad, who was pretty familiar with Freud's Oedipal complex idea, mm-hmm. writes in and says, hey, I think that my son would be a good case study for you because he's scared of horses. And I'm pretty sure it's because of me. Yes. Because at the same time, while he was scared of horses, he also had a little bit of an obsession with his penis. Yes. And he was... As, as, you know, a young three-year-old boy discovering his body might. So basically, the father's theory was that the son, who was had a some kind of romantic attachment to the mother... and He wanted want, to come sleep in the bed with them. He wanted the to sleep in the bed with them. He had dreams about having children with the mother. And the dad would be like, oh, whose kids are these? And he was like, oh, well, well they're mummies and you're the granddaddy. Yeah, and uh, and he kept referring to his father as having like horse-like characteristics. He'd yeah. say, "Daddy, don't trot away from me," or "Your skin's so white like that horse." And uh, and this is where it gets kind of crazy because people think that you know, since this dad knew about what Freud was all about, he kind of fed Freud some lines because mm-hmm. uh, Freud never met the child. This was all sort of uh, facilitated by the father, and uh, the father alleged that little Hans saw some horses fall. And just couldn't leave the house because he was so destroyed by these horses. And, uh, through, you know, Freud would feed questions to the father. The father would report back on what Hans said. And what they worked out was that the horse was, was the father for little Hans. Mm-hmm. And, um, obviously horses have big penises. And so there was, that was where the penis like obsession was coming from is he wanted to be the manly man like his father and sleep with his mother. And uh, the fact that the horses were falling over was his fear of castration. So there you go. So there you go. I mean, I, I, and I would say in terms of our, our cultural idea of this you know, sexual connection with, between horses and girls, it probably goes back to Freud, at least in recent history. Yeah. And, you know, I found a few articles where they're like, oh, the Freudian, the Freudian horse. But you go back to the study and it's it's all about this boy. I mean, yeah, it's I, all about the boy and not a girl. But nevertheless, I guess you can make the argument that girls can be in love with their fathers and thus they're in love with horses. But, you know, as we got more and more into the research, I think it's going to be really hard to get anyone to say, yes, girls want girls want horses because they associate them with sex. Because what's so weird is, on the other hand, they keep talking about how horses have this innocence Mm-hmm. That girls like, and that this is a reason why women, especially after they're not girls anymore, what after they've gotten w- world weary of of all the uh, things going on, that's why they want to return to the horses to return right. to this simpler time. May may I may I quote a a theory from Melissa Holbrook Pearson, who is the author of Dark Horses and Black Beauties. Oh, I wish you would. Okay, she thinks, and she this author is a longtime horse lover. Loves the horses. Wrote this book of essays about women and horses. So she says, we are attracted to horses in particular because they echo our own tentative whispers, but do so in a bold ringing call. They speak with certainty of exactly those things we are most unsure of in ourselves. For the qualities that most define the equine species are the ones suppressed currently in the human. Raw sexuality, fear, open vulnerability, and need. Uncomplicated drive. I mean, my God. It's quite a horse. Is that, was that the last part, part of the oh, quote, too? No, that the, the last part was just my comment on the quote. <laughs> Sorry. That's quite a horse. I'm going to throw that out in conversation whenever I can now, Kristen. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes, sex is always going to come up like it came up in that quote. 
But people bring it up and then they drop it. So I, I don't think that's very helpful at all. Well, and then there's also the aspect of caring for a horse. I mean, if for anyone who has taken a horse in and out of stable, like saddled it up and then taken the saddle off. What is that called? Tacking the horse. Uh, it is a lot of work. I mean, you can't just, it's not just like walking a dog. You don't just toss the saddle on and, and go out. I mean, you have to groom. saddle up your dogs. <laughs> yeah. You don't just saddle up old Fido. Uh, you have to groom the horse. You have to you know, get rid of the, the, the dirt in its, in its hoof. In the, in the horseshoe. I mean, there's a lot to do. Obviously, I'm no horse expert because I, I tried actually to, to volunteer at a horse farm for a little while. Quickly realized somebody's afraid of horses. <laughs> and that's me. But Kristen, apparently women have this special skill to get along with horses, according to our research. Yeah, that's a lot of these, these sources that are coming from horse magazines that mm-hmm. are talking about horses and girls that have this, you know, close connection with, uh, with horses, it goes back to the empathy thing. Like we have some kind of horse whisperer secret sort of communication with horses. Well, I mean, they, it goes to some sort of gender stereotypes in that girls are communicators. They understand body language. They understand unspoken connections. Yes. Uh, they're sensitive and they'll look you in the eye and that these are the skills that a horse is going to respond to. A horse isn't going to respond to this aggressive male coming in to dominate it. Right. And that's why some people say that girls do better treating stallions because they're not a threat the mm-hmm. way a man might be. Um, you know, this empathy card comes up over and over again. And one study I found that was really interesting was about how they asked girls and boys uh, what pets they wanted, what pets they had. And uh, they weren't even going to study horses. It was supposed to really be like a dog's cat thing. The girls kept bringing up horses. The boys didn't. But the girls were also just far more empathetic than the boys were. Mm -hmm. And you just see that repeated over and over again, that girls have this empathy, that horses are a creature that require empathy. And that that's also a reason why things like horse therapy uh, can be so effective is because it takes kids who are angry or uh, misbehaving and teach them how to have empathy for another creature, the horse, which hopefully they can take those skills and uh, put them to use in their real life when they get angry or upset with someone. And they bring up this empathy connection as well when it comes to riding a horse. I mean, you have to be in touch with the horse's body and its movements and anticipate how it's going to, to canter or trot or jump over things. And they think that women are especially good equestrians because they, because of that kind of connection that you're talking about. And speaking of equestrians too, uh, it also, riding a horse puts men and women on pretty equal playing grounds. Yeah, they talked about how this is one of the few sports where where men and women really can compete one against another because mm-hmm. the great equalizer is the horse. Yeah. That you get up there and it's it's not how fast you are, it's not how strong you are, it's how you can work with your horse. And so I think that's an interesting interesting theory. I also think that there's something to self-esteem. If you're good at riding horses um as a girl and you can get up and sort of master this powerful creature that's something that I don't think girls get um, a chance to do as often as boys do. I think it's a very empowering creature because it is big, because it does respond to not your strength or your force, but to you as a person. Uh, a lot of a lot of the uh, the horsewomen who were interviewed made mention of that factor that it's freeing. You can ride away from all your troubles and 
feel good about your ability to get along with this horse. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just from my pretty limited experience with horses, the thought of sort of mastering and building a relationship with a 2,000 pound animal, you know, who could kick me in the head and, or whatever, run me over. I mean, that's, that would be a pretty powerful type of thing to, to experience. I, for one, it is a little scary for me, but, <laughs> but I, I bet that if you did come at, at, from someone who is scared, I mean, it's natural to be scared of something that's bigger than you, I think. Right. And then you did master it. Sure. I would feel such a sense of accomplishment. Of you, course. You'd be on top of the world, Kristen Conger, maybe, and on top of a horse. Maybe it's time for me to start riding. You'd be saddle up. You'd be like the old spice guy. Yes. I'm on a horse. There we go. I wonder if that's why women will like horses now. I bet in 20 years there'll be some study about the impact of that commercial about the, the old, old spice, spice man. man on a horse and how girls who watched that commercial when they were 10 learned that sexuality of the old spice man was linked to this horse. It'll all go back to sex again in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to write that down and uh, and come back to it. But I would make a bet too, though, Molly, that in 20 years, horses aren't going to go out of style. I don't think that this connection between younger girls and horses is ever going to just fade away. I mean, think about ride right off, if you will, uh, r- ride off into the sunset. Because think about, say, Black Beauty. Uh, yeah. It came out in 1878, mm-hmm. and it's still so popular. And it's just one of you know a thousand horse books. That you can get from a library if you're mm-hmm. if you're a young girl. I just remember those horse book sections. And since I found horses really smelly, I didn't intend <laughs> to read those. But I think I liked empathy as a kid. <laughs> well, maybe it's time for both of us to uh, head over to the stables. Maybe that you would know? be quite the stuff. I've never told you field trip. That would be something. If anyone in the Atlanta area wants to give me and Molly some free horse lessons, <laughs> send us an email. But anyway, I think I think now's the time since neither of us are obviously horse experts, neither of us are equestrians. I would like to hear from some folks in our audience about about this whole horse thing. If you are a rider, what draws you to the horse? What is it like to look into the eyes of a horse? Will it change my life? Let me know. Momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the email and let's read a couple of those. Okay, I'm going to read two really quick ones about uh, the Shaving Legs podcast. And uh, a really quick one from Andrew, who writes, So according to the timeline of when women started shaving their legs, which we talked about in the podcast, in 1912, when the movie Titanic is set, when Rose takes her dress off to have Jack draw her aboard the ship, she should have been sporting a healthy amount of body hair. Weird how that wouldn't have translated well to the 1990s audiences, and therefore the facts shifted a little. Yes, Andrew and all our listeners out there, when you are watching a movie that takes place before the 1920s and the girls all have smooth skin, something is amiss. To follow up, I want to read a real quick one from someone who wants to be anonymous. And we talked about how shaving legs is a cultural thing. She writes, I agree. I'm South Asian and was born in North America, but my mother is from India. All the time I was growing up, I had never seen my mother shave her legs and she never suggested that I needed to either. So it was with some surprise that when I was around 11, I think, and I was at a swimming class, I started noticing that the other girl's legs were bare. And later on that same summer, some other kid asked me why I didn't shave my legs. I was shocked because I figured it was an adult thing based on all the commercials I saw. And even then, I figured it was only if you were showing your legs. 
I started shaving afterwards, but even now I really only shave depending on what I wear and sometimes if I just feel like it. But I'm definitely not a regular shaver, I guess depending on what a regular shaver is. I think based on my mom's example, it never really occurred to me as a necessary thing for routine maintenance. So very interesting. Thanks for writing in. Well, I've got an email here from Tom, and he is a handbag owner. That's right. He is a handbag owner. He wanted to share his recent experience with handbags. He says, for the longest time, I took a backpack to work with my lunch and beverages for the day, as well as any mail that I needed to send or bills I needed to pay, all checked into the big main section. Unfortunately, the one I'd been using was a cheap backpack with all plastic inside that kept cracking and falling apart, leaving a light black dust on almost all the stuff I toss in there. I've had that same experience with a bag that's breaking down. It's terrible. Anyway says, finally, I broke down and went shopping for a new one, and I found a fabric messenger-style bag that wasn't overly feminine. After figuring out how to wear it properly, which proved to be a bit difficult for a lifelong backpack wearer, I quickly found out how useful this oversized purse can be. Soon, I was chucking everything in it, my lunch, my soda pop, my asthma inhaler, my bills and my mails, a book, even my cell phones and keys. I've also discovered how perfect all the little pockets and chambers in the bag are for organizing everything so I can get to it quickly. I wish my bag were that organized. Uh, this thing is perfect for lightening the load on my pockets and finally bringing to an end to what my mother so charmingly refers to as the elephant balls look. Fill up your pockets to the brim with everything you might need for the day, and you'll see what she means by that. I like this thing so much, I'm thinking about getting a second one for evenings and weekends to carry all the stuff I usually chuck in my pockets during my free time. Toss a wallet, cell phone, keys, multi-tool, pocket knife, bottle opener, corkscrew, and a digital camera into the front pockets of your jeans, and you'll really have the elephant balls look. After a couple of months with my handbag, I'm happy to say that I'm a hetero, averagely masculine man who loves... His man bag. All right, Tom. Thanks so much for writing in. And if you would like to write to us, our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also leave a note over on our Facebook wall, or you can tweet us at momstuffpodcast. Then finally, you can check out our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?